podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Roller, I played terrible for 11 years, but I did win the chuck raffle. That's not mine. We are live. Welcome to Eccles. I'm Ivan. You think they'd have learned from Friday when I managed to fall off a stage not to give me a chair with wheels, but... <laughs> Where were you Friday? Newcastle. Newcastle? Yes. It was great fun. Yeah, I like it. Did you on the telephone? I think you'll Is it something you said? Three people have just walked out. <laughs> we we so are live. not very technically. That's okay. It, it's, it's only, we're, we're live on YouTube. Welcome to Eccles. I'm, I'm very excited. I need to find out because... If I say Salford's in Manchester, people get upset. Yeah. So if I say Eccles is in Salford, is that okay? Yeah. 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 Right. Oh, you know, well, that's, that's good. How many Salford fans now? Do Salford fans like us? I thought they didn't like us. Who's us? Well, not yet. Yeah, don't, don't tar us all with the same brush. Yeah. Just, just me. Um, Play to the crowd. If you've ne- uh, does anyone watch our programme, listen to it? One person, brilliant. Occasionally, we are forty twenty live. The off- where's the magazine, Phil? Have you not you not brought a load of magazines? You just run over. Don't them. run away. Here's one they prepared earlier. This is like the massively. I mean, Trevor Hunt here, experienced broadcaster, celebrating a hundred years of the BBC today. No, I've not. I've, I've <laughs> not all hundred years, I've anyway. Of course, I've done thirty-seven, but not a hundred. But yeah, yeah. BBC celebrates one hundred years of. Uh, of the BBC today, actually, it's good. Yeah, there. Yeah. This isn't the BBC because this Jack's been there for 100 years. <laughs> Something like that. They're uh, in Media City, we're in Apple. There you go. So, this is the magazine. We are the offshoot of. Who gets it? Offshoot? Seamless. There you go. Got your article. No. <laughs> so, so, I'm the alleged host, Richard Shaw, Phil Kaplan, editor of Fortune's Engine magazine. Can't even say the word just now. Great, former Great Britain coach, Super oh, League coach. That was me of the for a minute, eh? No, I, <laughs> I, mean, I don't really need to in- introduce Brian Noble, do I? Especially not in Salford. No. TV's Danny Caprim from BBC One, BBC Two, Channel Four, Sky Sports, <laughs> YouTube. What about my playing? Playing for, play for yeah. England in the World Cup. Oh, well done. Yeah. I mean, Pundit of the Year nominee. It's always not one in our hearts. Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, well done. Thanks. It's yeah. on the 1st of November. A big swanky event in London. Just got the menu. I'm not sure I'm posh enough to go. <laughs> What's on it? The start is asparagus and artichoke choked tart. Oh. <laughs> what? Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Uber Eats in London's really good, so I'll just get McDonald's like that. No, lasagna. Because <laughs> obviously in, in the Rugby League press box, lasagna is the staple food. No, it's duck comfit and pea and mint. Pearl barley risotto. Artichoke and. Mm. Are you sure I'm you're not on MasterChef? Artichoke and. Asparagus. Don't I'm think I've either of those two ever. See, this is this is what happens when rugby league gets to posh places. We don't know what it is. We have no idea whether we want it or whether we'll eat it. But we will complain about it. Yeah. I'm not complaining. No. I'm just slightly nervous that I might have to pre eat. <laughs> no, no pies. No. Dessert? When is the important question? Some chocolate. There's one of them sphere things, I think, you know, that melts when you pour on the chocolate on the top. Oh, no, I love them. It's been hours in that place. Chocolate bombs? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, chocolate fountain. So I found out this morning anyway, so I've got my official invite through. And obviously, you're in the Yorkshire Post at the weekend. Didn't mention, no mention of us again. Every article, no mention of us. 
You've got to tell these journalists. What would you like to say for the next one? <laughs> it was all thanks to them. Okay. Not, not, not Tanya Arnold at the BBC, not, not Adam Hills, none of them people. It was all, it's all me and Phil. No problem. I will amend my uh, speech for next time. And, and Trevor Hunt, uh, 37 years at the BBC. Yeah, 37 years at the BBC, yeah, a long time. Uh, sixth World Cup, umpteen different places around the world, so... I'd like to think that uh, back in 92, I went over to uh, Fiji to sort out the Bala Tour for 1994, because Fiji weren't playing international rugby league at that time. And so we went over in 1994, and we'd like to think that what we've got today with Fiji in the in the World Cup is uh, some part played by Bala and the other lads who were on the tour. So it's a long, long time, isn't it, in coming Fiji, but here they are. Yeah. And we're all looking forward to watching them again. We enjoy watching them. And the, the singing they bring beforehand and the rugby and everything else, and it's all part of what the World Cup's about, isn't it? With Samoa, Tonga and the rest. Absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Uh, the hymn has been stuck Trev. in my head since uh, Saturday night. Steve Mascot is here. You, Hello. You've just arrived. Oh, there I am. Yeah, yeah. M62, I'm just learning. <laughs> <laughs> not, not only is this a live podcast, but it also doubles. Is this another one of your book launches? Well, I actually did a Salford book launch before the England Fiji game, and no one showed up, so I thought it's an opportunity for a do over. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I bought the books in. But uh, yeah, I've, I've learned that I don't think you allow, I don't think half an hour is enough, is it? You don't allow it to be half an hour late, you've got to allow it to be an hour late. Yeah. So I'm slowly starting to get to know my way around yeah. I've been here all my life and that was the first time I've been early today so alright <laughs> <laughs> well uh, we're a sport that is supposed to be the M62 <laughs> corridor so how can you get lost when you come in corridors one a, a really charitable other. description <laughs> of that <laughs> <laughs> there were parts of it today that were a corridor it's just a congested corridor <laughs> <laughs> the, the World Cup has started and I think on this panel we're all positive about it now, hopefully you are as well and you at home Brian what's been your highlight of the, the World Cup so far pick up on what Trevor said about the the starts to I think most people are attracted to either the Sippy Tau or the Haka or indeed the Fijian Hallelujah song I think that gets people into the stadiums but the talent on show is fabulous even last night watching Greece and thinking the full back chip chasing and playing what they see it's just as a football nut as I am I like to see different things. I'm not a system man in any way, shape or form. And so, that, so the highlight is getting everybody here when it's been delayed for 12 months. And I think um, the actual games sell themselves. I haven't seen it. I've seen every game so far. And I've not, not enjoyed any one of them. Um, so I think it's the, the standard of football. And, and once we recognise that you know, there are some teams out there that are, that are new, Jamaica particularly. Um, would have thought the Cedars would have gone so well against the Kiwis. Uh, Greece last night against France, many people thought France would. Uh, but there are going to come times when we, we get a cricket score somewhere, especially in Australia. But And I think we all have to remember and, and beat on the drum that, well, they have to start somewhere. And if we're spreading the, our gospel, which we all try to do all over the world. I actually went to Jamaica for two weeks and um, the amount of talent playing over there would surprise everybody whether they ever convert that into a meaningful competition or a meaningful entity I don't know because we're predominantly seeing expats aren't we so Richard your, your long answer to the short <laughs> question that you asked is I'm enjoying it all 
long answers are better than long questions. <laughs> Danica, what have you enjoyed most about the World Cup so far? No, it finally started, I think. Um, uh, I think, much like uh, Brian, it's just, for me, it's it, everyone loves, an, well, I love an underdog, don't I? So, Jamaica, the Greece, even Lebanon to a, like I want and then in the women's game is going to be Brazil. So, a lot of, for me, it's a lot of the nations just coming forward and, and we're expecting, yeah, big scores, but actually, so far, we've had big scores, but we've not had the scores. You know, Jamaica, New Zealand at the weekend could be different. That could be the turning point for the 100-pointer. But, you know, Jamaica going out, they were happy with two points. They scored their first points in the World Cup. So, for me, it's just it's just getting started. I just like love I just love World Cup. I love sports, and there's nothing better than a World Cup and getting to turn on your TV every night, pretty much, and seeing, seeing some rugby league. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Nice. You don't have to watch. Gives you something to do, doesn't it? I mean, because I, I end up watching all kinds of rubbish, like old people playing snooker at midnight on one of the channels. I don't know why I'm doing that. Well, I don't watch soaps. I don't watch particularly watch TV. Well, you don't need to watch soaps in women's rugby. Would do you? <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm just saying I don't watch EastEnders and Emmerdale and such like. So actually, now I can sit. I've got an excuse to sit down in front of my TV at the end of the day. If you're a big fan of underdogs, why didn't you come and sign for Wakefield when I tried to get you? About 300 times because my ego's too big for that for my playing. You, you know. can follow Brian, you know, you say, I like silverware, I just like supporting an underdog. <laughs> I've got no shame. <laughs> I once signed for Wakefield right at the very end of my career as an assistant coach, and I went there. and I don't think Wakefield fans have ever forgiven me, so you did right not to go. I was terrible for 11 games, terrible. And I was there, I was only there as a coach, but they had no players, so I said, Yeah, I'll put my hands up. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, my one does. He still likes me, believe it or not, even oh, though right. we fell out. I think he does anyway. Category one license. Yeah, that's got to excite my one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those three words. Uh, Trevor, what's <laughs> been your highlight so far? Well, I went to the first game at Newcastle, obviously, and we've waited a long time for it. And now, like a lot of English fans, I think I was apprehensive about how it will turn out. You know. If we got beat by a couple of points and we were close, that'd be fantastic. If we won, even better. If we got if we got well beaten, it would be dreadful, wouldn't it? Anyway, what did we do? We ran in uh, 10 tries, we were fantastic. And we played really well and some more, they can say they were undercooked and everything else, but we blew them away. And then afterwards, as is my want, I went on a little bit of an exhibition, uh, ex expedition, <laughs> should I say? Not an exhibition. Expedition. expedition. <laughs> I was an expedition. I think we saw those bars later. on Saturday night. For yeah. yeah, yeah. I went. I went to one Quite. or two of the pubs uh, further afield in the city centre, basically where I thought you know there would be less of the rowdyism that sometimes goes with after events. And I found lots of um, Geordies, and so, quite a few of them had the shirts on, England shirts, scarves, and I thought they were like Northern fans, but they weren't. They were Geordies. And they'd been to the game for the first time, really enjoyed it, bought themselves shirts and scarves just to support England. And they were really, really in love with what they'd seen, albeit on that night and a couple of pints and everything else. But I really thought, for me, that was the highlight because I went to Newcastle, I've been to Newcastle before, and when you go around the pubs in the city centre, you see more of the same, don't you? You see Holford <coughs> shirts, Hull shirts, Bradford, the lot. But when I was on the outskirts, the Geordie accents were there. They were picking me up because obviously mine is uh, were drunk. English. Yeah, well, there was that as well. <laughs> 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 Off the ground. Uh, there was that as well. But, you know, that was for me it because I just thought, well, this has arrived because people outside of the heartlands are taking taking notice. And nobody mentioned the ticket prices. 
Nobody, nobody at all mentions the ticket prices. I'm sure, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steve. Well, you know what? I kind of had a... You don't have to ask him a question. You just go. No, no. Yeah. Just, well, you go. Why would you ask them one question and then ask me well, a different I might one? Do. You might do. Okay. What, what are you going to ask? No, what's your highlight of the world? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, ha- I kind of had a pr- an answer in my in mind for this, and it was and it was just seeing people, you know, catching up with people from all around the world, and particularly uh, someone who's an expat Aussie, you know, uh, seeing, you know, my old drinking mate Brad Walter over yeah. here and also having a chat to Trent Robinson and, and, you know, the, the gear steward from Toronto Wolfpack was there last night. Um, Simon. Simon, Simon. Yeah. So but just seeing familiar faces and everything like that. And But then I talked to the two try scorers last night and I spoke to Satini Tokolo. That's why I've got this. I was checking this. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, no. One guy, one guy came up to me and, said, and just started talking to me. He started being interviewed. He stood in front of me and he said, yeah. And I said, yeah. He just looked at me like this. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, what great result tonight. What was it? You know, he said, oh, it's wonderful. It's a very historic moment. And I said, um, and... Um, uh, and, and what was the best moment for you? He goes, well, I didn't play. <laughs> I gave you a clue. <laughs> and I said, okay, where did you uh, learn your rugby league? And he goes, Rhodes. And I went, oh, not not like near Homebush in Sydney. Yeah, Rhodes, yeah. as in the Colossus of. Yeah. And um, anyway, so a guy just demanded to be interviewed last night. But that. Th- so that was a great moment. That's not a familiar face. And then I spoke to both the try scorers. And Satini said, I said, oh, you know, you scored the first try for Greece. He said, it's the first time I played against adults. He never played against adults before, and he only he could only play in the tournament um, because he um, turned 18 last week. Wow! So he gave up his 18th birthday, and I said, "You you missed, you know, um, um, spending your 18th birthday with your family and friends." And he said, "This is my family now, you know." Yeah. So it was so it was um it was fantastic. Yeah. And 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 so so I would say that um all. The whole, it's not just the old familiar faces and me being a middle-aged guy who wants to see people from home. It's actually all the things around rugby league, you know, all of it, and and why it's been such a good job over the years, you know. I'm actually getting emotional about it. It was such a fantastic night last night. To extend from that, before you ask me, because I'm going to jump in anyway. Fair enough. (laughs) The answer is Siobhan Bailey, um, which is probably not a familiar name to to most. Um, I'd certainly never heard of him, uh, but he played for Jamaica on Sunday. against Ireland. He is one of six players who've come over from the Duhaney Park Red Sharks in Kingston. Played the full 80 minutes, wasn't expected to in the second row. Got the honour of interviewing him afterwards, talking about the experience. And the first thing that struck you was his accent. And it's not in any way wishing to um, detract from, from the guy and what he did, but it was the most glorious Kingston accent. And it was quiet and it was quite a long drawn out drawl as he spoke and hearing him talk about he's a teacher in Kingston um, I think he's, he's late 20s early 30s and he's come over and made such an impression with the Jamaican squad that they felt they, they could pick him and they were only going to put him on for about 30 minutes and he made such an impression while he was on there that they couldn't bring him off and when he talked about what he'd been through afterwards and how he's going to take this experience back to the island and enthuse all the students that he teaches and the players that he plays with, you suddenly thought, actually, it doesn't matter what the results are in the World Cup, this is what it's all about. That, that's my highlight. Thank you for asking. But don't we get to the bit where we say, oh, England, well, we... England! Brian Noble, you had a long playing career, but in your playing career and coaching career, indeed, in the time you coached Great Britain, we didn't have a World Cup. In the time you played, the World Cup was a mess of a thing when you look at these events do you think god I wish I'd played something like this 
I wish it had played hand coach in events like that. We would something similar. So there was always a format, either a six nations, a five nations, or, or something that was equally challenging. I think the World Cup's more of a level playing field. If, if the draw goes your way, everybody's a chance. I think with with the smaller sided, the thing for Great Britain as it was then, which is essentially England, although there'll be some Welshmen and Scots people, and Irish people contacting <coughs> me after this one, is the fact that the international game needed their three best teams to be on a platform to show the worth of international football. And the only way that that could be achieved, even in 2006 when we went down under the Kiwis and the Aussies had a couple of games before we got there, so they had more of a rest within there. We to fly to the Southern Hemisphere, we to play five games on the bounce to be very, very successful. So it was indeed, I, I likened it to the, probably the biggest challenge in professional sport in the world then. And I don't detract from that. I think it was a tough gig, well, especially when you've played some of the disadvantages where you've played 30% more games than your opposition in a season. Um, the travel criteria and then playing week going from Australia for, for people that somebody just got stuck on the M62 corridor <laughs> today and were whinging and pissing and moaning as best as they can but the reality for us was to go to Australia then to New Zealand to Australia sorry whichever way around New Zealand Australia New Zealand back to New Zealand and those are a life-changing and player-changing dynamics that you have to come to terms with and so it was a tough challenge, but the group that we took in 2006, I, I still think was extremely as well prepared as it could have been and, and provided some highlights there. The fact that we probably ran out of juice wasn't a surprise to me. But getting back to the World Cup, absolutely I would have loved to either played in one or indeed coached in one. Um, it'd be one of the things international football that I'd probably drag myself out of bed for now you know and, and get committed to again I think it's international football I'm a big fan of if you look domestically where I've coached South Wales ended up being North Wales in the same season so there was a d dynamics there uh, over in Toronto uh, so I'm, I'm an expansionist at heart and, and a growth person it's hard for me to call it expansion it's growth and to take it up on Steve's point, I bump into people, I've got friends in Toronto and friends all over the world that they see what I see, they understand that genuinely, and it sounds corny sometimes, we're involved in the greatest game of all, both from the player's point of view, whatever format it takes. Uh, and we just, it's still sometimes in some parts of the world, other than the eastern seaboard of Australia, it's still the biggest kept secret in the world and it frustrates the life out of me because it's a magnificent, magnificent spectacle and the people particularly, again picking up on what Steve says, I just love the people. Danica, you played in the World Cup in 2017, which was, a, I don't know, would it be fair to say it was a bit of a secret tournament over here, I don't think it was much of it was televised. Um, I mean, I've seen you in the film. <laughs> if you've not seen Carl and Mary, you should go see it, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it wasn't so much of a secret tournament in the sense that women's rugby league has literally taken off over the last four years. So th there was there were games on, like the first game we played against uh, Papua New Guinea was on at seven thirty in the morning, on whatever channel or red button or whatever. And not just on the women's rugby league bandwagon by that point, you see. So. No, no, no. It is, but when over in Australia, on the flip side of that, it was as big as the men. So we were put on Fox or whatever the equivalent, whatever it was out there, all all of the games, not just the Australia ones. 
Um, and we played our pool games were three games a day so they dedicated a whole day of essentially rugby league you know we did all the TV stuff we did all of the media work when we were out there so actually out there it was the first time I felt like a professional player because we, we rocked up and yeah we flew on the Friday night we landed Sunday morning we played Wednesday afternoon <laughs> so it was a very quick turnaround and then we played Sunday so we played Wednesday, Sunday no Thursday, Sunday Wednesday, Sunday um, so it was a tight turnaround but at that time I say that time it's only five years ago but then it was such a massive thing that we'd been flown out we'd been given this lovely hotel we'd been given everything we needed in terms of medical and everything like that and, and all of the media and the support that actually you felt like a professional player and despite the turnaround being very difficult on the bodies especially the older ones that, of us that were out there um, it was an incredible, incredible experience and you know we only had six half day training sessions before we went out so to say that we went out and came essentially third in the World Cup I'd take that Jealous might be the wrong word. Envious might be the right one. How do you feel about... I'm horrendously jealous. I don't care. Yeah, well, great. No, these girls have had two years. They've trained nearly every weekend. They've been in camps. They've been out to Australia and Papua New Guinea in 2019 to prepare. Um, you know, they're, they're having top-notch. They're now getting participation fees, the same as the men, to be in the World Cup, which I took five weeks off and paid. It, it's not a sacrifice, it was a choice I made. You know, I could have just said, no, I'm not going. I made that choice to go out and do that, but I think it's fantastic for the women that are now playing um, that they get all of that. The turnaround time is a little bit a little bit more, get an extra day, I think, in terms of, <laughs> of games, but they've had, they're in the best possible position in terms of training and, and care that they could have and they go into camp on the 28th even of the 28th so actually they don't have much time in camp together I know the Australians have just got together now they, they're together for a week before they fly so I think the turnarounds in terms of everyone flying and then playing is going to be quite as tight uh, quite tight still but yeah I'd love to uh, mm, no let me word this properly I'd love to be in the position that the girls are in in terms of the playing and the fees and the kind of things that they get now but I'm not so bothered about playing now that I'm older and <laughs> it hurts a bit more if if England could win the World Cup, would you? I mean, they can't win the World Cup, of course. But would that change your mind about being older? And, you know? No, I'm really ha really happy for the girls. The you know, the props in my position now are fantastic. So I'm under no illusion that I'm old and done. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to. I think you'll always want to, won't you? That never go away. No, that never goes away. <laughs> so never leaves you. Uh, I, I still dream of playing for Lee Miners. Yeah. <laughs> they dream it. of you having. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, the nightmares for them. Uh, <laughs> dream for me. That was it. Being the Masters World Cup, <coughs> Well, yeah, I've been invited, but I've never been able to make it. Um, you know, my particular certain skills are perhaps uh, a little bit too delicate for <laughs> Masters rugby at the moment. I've had my new knee, though. I've had my new knee. Nobby told me, get a new knee, you'll be sorted. So. Perhaps this is the time. The, com the comeback is on. The comeback is on. What, what are your favourite memories of World Cups past? Obviously, as you mentioned, six World Cups you've covered. Uh, yeah, plenty. Uh, first one I did was 1995, which was over here. I did it with a guy called Peter Ward, who did uh, a lot of radio leads. And he was a real character. And um, you picked up your tickets at Wembley for the very first game. I think it was England-Australia, Wembley. You picked up your tickets. And Peter was old school colonial the way he talked. So he was, hello Trella, are you and I are going to have a go at this? And, we'll, and so he's a lot different to me, really. And uh, so we get there and we're queuing up for ages to get our tickets. And the guy who's handing them out says, um, 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the person in front line, he, he doesn't seem to have a ticket. And Peter says, well, in that case, he should go to the back of the queue. <laughs> and he said, no, well, no, it'll only take me two minutes. He went, I'll time you then. <laughs> and he stood like that. And he waited for his ticket, he came back. So the next game, we're up at Hull, playing uh, some game at Hull. And I get there, and Peter's over at Leeds because they were split. So we were doing for Radio Kalang, which is Papua New Guinea. Was doing for um, Radio Australia and we're doing Radio New Zealand as well as doing s stuff for BBC and things. So we're really extremely busy. But we get the next one and the guy says, he sees me come up and then he's going through his tickets like this and in the end he says, I can't find Peter's ticket, I can't find it. I said, you're okay, he's over at Leeds. So that it let him off. But then I did PNG and on this one, I'll finish with this one, but basically PNG I went and interviewed various players after they played over at St Helens and what have you. And I did all the interviews and then I go to send them back to Radio Kalang. And I said to <laughs> Is Peter... Is that a real name for Yeah, it's called him. Radio Kalang. Radio yeah. Kalang. Yeah, and I said, awesome. Peter, I said, I've got all this bloody stuff from uh, PNG. I can't understand the single word they've said. He said, don't worry, when they play it out there, they won't understand your questions. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it, 1995, we'll cut the How many times have you been here, well, before you moved here, Steve, how many times did you come over and cover the Kangaroos? Well, I, I, I came over on all the, all the tours starting in 1994, so the last big one I missed was the 92 Challenge uh, World Cup <coughs> final at Wembley. Um, um, Steve Raniff, beating John Deborah, and then, and then after that I went to... 1995, uh, 2000, uh, 2008, 2013, 2007, and on each occasion went to as many games as I could. So I, I didn't. I mean, I think now I would be in trouble if I was covering the Australian team on this tour and I'd gone to um, uh, gone to Doncaster last night. I'd get a boot up the backside from my boss. What are you doing doing that? But but I managed to get away with it. Um, and I've got there's heaps there's heaps there's there's just so many so many memories I mean like I, I remember that Fiji everything was so in 1995 all the teams had been basically taken up rugby league because uh, Colin Love had invited them to the sevens and suddenly they got invited to a 13 aside so no one had seen South Africa and Fiji play rugby league before and it's ju it was just the look of astonishment on the Speckies faces when they walked into Keefley and saw Fiji play um, South Africa it was and you know the and the Kickoff being delayed at Central Park for England and Fiji, and and um, you know, uh, very late nights uh, in the Queen's Hotel with the Aussie team in, in 2000, and fire alarms going off, and create just just yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess my favourite my favourite memory though would be would be it sounds weird, but seeing South Africa play Fiji at Keefley, it was just a revelation to everybody was who was there. I remember I got a vote on Man of the Match. I might have got the only one. And, and Brian will know that um, it's a toss-up, the reaction you get for when you're picking man of the match. We picked the man of the match, it was my P.O. Nakumbawa or something like that. And the whole crowd cheered and I thought, it was, this is the greatest day of my life. Like, yeah. <laughs> they think I'm a good judge. And no, no one's thought that since. So, so uh, yeah, it was a fa fantastic, um, yeah, I, yeah, just been great memories. And I, just the driving. I mean, one time, before Satnavs, um, I decided I was going, and when Souths were getting kicked out of the competition, or re yeah, kicked out of the competition in 2000, I tried to go to every game, and I, I actually got the gig covering it for Reuters. But I didn't have a car, so I was getting lifts from everyone, and Reuters want copies straight away, you know. So I'm like um, asking to stop at service, Dave Hadfield, and stop at services, and anyway, um, I decided I was gonna go to the, um, the, the, the um, Lebanon game by, uh, from Leeds, where the Australians were based, 
by a, like the most direct route on the map. Not a motorway, the most direct route on the map. So I went to Hereford where they invented cows, but I wasn't supposed to go to Hereford. Um, and it, I went all I went all the way. Australian education wants yeah. a bit, doesn't it? Cows I was invented in Hereford. But um, but I got I got all the way to South Wales. The game was over. I stopped in a motorway and I went straight back to Leeds. And when I got back, I think South would be kicked out of the comp. So, uh, so yeah, that oh, that would be the stupidest memory. But I'm, yeah, there's a thousand. Sorry, I answered that too yeah. long. Sorry. <laughs> keep sp- keep speaking. Says me having to think of a question to ask. That. <laughs> uh, just on on that, just when he was mentioning Hadfield, the late great Hadfield is a friend of all of us here. Journalist who passed away earlier this year. And you mentioned that you know, you kind of implied driving. Well, Dave Hadfield, he could not drive, but he worked for the Independent. And he had a car allowance. And he had a car allowance because once they rang him up to see where his copy was and he said he'd left his keys in the porch. And therefore they said in the porch. So he, he got a car allowance from the independent for his car, which he couldn't drive and he didn't have one anyway. Well that was it. The Northern we can, the story can now be told. <laughs> Just going back to that Fiji um, South Africa game. I was there as well, um, and there was a women's game on beforehand, which was interesting because uh, we think it's a, a modern development. But actually, it was being played, you know, thirty odd years ago. The thing that strikes me about that day, and you're absolutely right to bring it up because it opens the eyes of people, mm. is that the coach of Fiji was Graham Murray, mm. and that was the first time we'd ever come across Graham Murray. And to be in his presence when he did the post-match analysis was like a different level. Mm. You know, with the greatest respect to the coaches that we interviewed on the British game. Graham Murray was on a, you know, was different, and the way he analysed it and talked about it was different. The passion that he had for Fiji that day was different. But it was also, I think, the first time we'd heard the South African national anthem since it became the Rainbow Nation. Oh, right, so yeah. all of that as well was was just really emotional, and, and only World Cups can do that, which is why they are so exciting. I can remember as a fan, um, which would probably tell you how old I am, going to the World Cup final in 1970 at Headingley um, was only. Uh, nine at the time, so I don't really remember a lot about the game, other than I was told. You and Trevor are like Benjamin Button, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was told by my dad, who took me, that Great Britain were going to win the World Cup because they'd beaten Australia in the group stage, and so we just had to turn up and watch Great Britain win, and they'd lift the cup. And as a, as a kid, you know, that's what in- inspires you and makes you want to be a fan of sport. And it was the most horrendous game. Uh, it's known as the Battle of Leeds. Looking back on it. Um, that there were two players sent off. One of them, after the full-time whistle went, was John Atkinson, who was a policeman, never got sent off, but headbutted somebody after the game had finished. It was it was such a brawl that even the national press, which never really commented on rugby league, had headlines. The Daily Mirror, I think, said, "Thugby league, this sport should be banned. And it breaks your heart as a nine-year-old kid, but you become inspired by it's a World Cup. And all of these green and golds and Kiwis and, and even PNG when they started coming over, getting the chance to see them play once every four years or see names that now we take for granted because you can watch an NRL game every week but then you probably have to wait for the video to come in a week later and then go and hire it and then put it on and see these iconic colours and players and then they were playing on your pitch and you just thought that that's why international rugby has a dimension beyond club rugby league and World Cups just inspire you as a spectator or a player. I mean, I mean it's good to see the Australians play, wasn't it, for the first time in 700? World rank number four men's Australia. Is that, that, yeah. that, that the official word? Sean Wayne is the coach of England. 
and he led them to a 60 points to 6 win over Samoa on Saturday we, apparently we'd written we'd written England off oh, <coughs> did you write them off Steve was it you I wrote off England no yeah, I didn't you didn't I think I said I, 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 think I, said, did or not. I think what I said is they are favourites for this game but I think they'll lose so yeah. I was wrong on both gets probably because <laughs> Sean Wayne was upset apparently people have, people have written off England mm. no he wasn't upset with people like us it's a call to arms. So it's a rallying call. You're always. I've got a bad reputation. You're always looking for a third match. <coughs> the truth is, you don't know until they're out there. That's the that's the reality. As a coach, what I did like about what Sean Wayne said was the way that he recognised that we have good players mm. as well. And you've got to remember, eight and nine of those players have played at the highest level in the, the National Rugby League in Australia and done well and been good players. So he, he certainly has the belief that I always have our best players as good as Australia's or anybody's best players. And recognising the fact that he had a good team and his defensive stand on that, it can get you back up, but that's your job. That's your job to say, well, yeah, I understand what's coming against us, but do they understand what's going against them? And that's the reality. You don't know until you get into the tournament as to where you're going, who's going to stay on the planet, who's going to perform well. I thought the team at the weekend did everything everything that was asked of them and all the the jewels and sparkles that, that we see in our team week in week out like Wellsby finding right pass selections for different things the introduction of Victor Radley I thought really added to the spine of the team Sam Tompkins um, Williams Wellsby fluid question marks over all of those of all of the players and his selections go away the introduction of Herbie Farmer thought oh, I know quite well from different connections and Dominic Young those that watch the National Rugby League every week understand that you have to pick them because I suppose the challenge is people don't want you to pick if they think there's something equivalent in our country but I also throw in there the introduction of Andy Ackers the Solver player absolutely thoroughly deserved you have to pick form players and he's done that as well as Wayne so you can all be critical but all say they're going to play a certain way but I thoroughly enjoyed the performance at the weekend but come, come quarter-final, semi-final chat, it'll be a different yeah. challenge from now on in. I thought it was a classic, though, like coach kind of mind game is before a big game you need a rallying call and you're looking for one everywhere and you can bet if all the players recite it after they win that it's been used to G them up. It's not, it's not accidental. They haven't all read the same story and independently come to the conclusion that we're being underrated. Someone stood in the, in the briefing room and said, look at, the, look at this, you know, and, and, and I guess it worked. And now I don't think they probably need to do that for the next two pool games. Maybe for the semi, Waney and the final, he'll come <laughs> up with another one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure it's as big as that, Steve. I'm not sure it's as big as that because I genuinely believe he feels he's got a good team because I think he's got a good team. We all do the way that before. The, the good thing for me was the fact that they were clinical. Mm. Normally you see an England team make a few more errors than they did. Yeah. I think the only error I saw the whole of the game was the Wellsby intercept mm. and that was on the verge of it. Had he got that right, it was another try, another score. I think the biggest story is the... the uh, <coughs> I don't know what to call the, the Samoan performance because they had it nine in our grand good. final. Yeah, not very good. That's I mean, like he, he I they were pulling it through the tallies, mm. but they Samoa didn't play as well as we expected. No. Like you know, all of the the stuff that was out about with Samoa, I've got eight grand finalists. Rah 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 rah. Like Brian said, we've got what 10, 11 people that have either played or are currently in the NRL. But yeah, clinical performance, really well done, England. Great score, exactly what it needed, but. 
how poor were Samoa? Yeah, well, that's always the argument, isn't it? You know, are you playing well because the opposition's playing poorly, or are the opposition playing poorly because you're playing well? And it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Well, the first thirty oh, minutes was tough. I thought yeah, it was a good yeah. workout. But there was only three errors in that first half, <laughs> and and even less from England in the second. So, if if you kind of look at the stats, for me, they opened up uh, Noe in such the the mindset looked right. The first tackles are the ones that you witness, don't you? Are you mm. driven back or do you drive them back? And it almost shows your mindset. From us in the terraces, I mean, you were on the bench watching it, Danica, you were playing in these. That kind of, to me, sets the platform for what goes thereafter. And right from the first exchanges, we were in there getting on top. And mm. I, I just thought we played exceptionally well. They were disappointing. But, you know, a point that sometimes I think most fire players is, no Liam Farrell, no Johnny Lomax, no this, no that, no the other. Hold on, I've been selected, yeah. so am I only a second choice? I'm as good as him on my day. That's what you must think, mustn't you? And at the end of it all, I think that might have contributed to uh, the way it was, because lots of, lots of pun punters said, well, this England team, they've not got this, not got him, not got the him. You know, by the time they finished, we were really not, even Lewis Dodd, who's not played all season, as to he, how much stronger they would have been in, with him in the side. I think that gives you a, a, besiege, um, a siege mentality mm. that helps you take on the opposition. And if I was in there, that would have been something I'd have been drawing on. I think, I think you can mean? play that siege mentality once, and I think he played it perfectly. And all this were being written off. That's yeah. a great line, but you can only do it once. I think now that they've shown their hand, that won't I think wash. his biggest struggle now is selection, isn't it? Well, the, the interesting thing, thing for me, which summed up... From. Probably the greatest success that Sean had was George Williams, mm. who I think, by his own admission, has not had the greatest season at Warrington. His, his stats are still pretty good, but he has looked like he was playing an unfamiliar brand of rugby this year, that he hadn't quite come to terms with all the people around him, weren't giving him the ammunition he needed to be the best he could. You then put him back into a Sean Wayne system where he understands exactly what's expected of him, takes on the mantle of responsibility that he clearly likes, and he, for me, he was the man of the match. Mm. Um, and I know that uh, obviously everybody's got their opinion on who perhaps it should have been or who officially it was. Radley was superb, but I just thought Williams controlled that game. You can tell why Victor to gets knocked out all the time, can't you? The way he was going into tackles. <laughs> That's what you want a body on the line, head I on the other Interestingly, just to go back to Sean, I think tactically he got it absolutely right. All week, I was banging on to the people that I jumped into, you've got to go at their middle because their strength was Pahalihi and Paolo and all of these big fellas. But their weakness, sometimes their strength is their weakness. And their engines and their tanks needed juicing out. And I thought the outside backs particularly and the middle blocks, I thought he got it bang on. Because the game didn't really crack open until 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so you well, got to do that, you've got to take the juice out of them. Yeah. Watkins try probably uh, turned it. Made in Salford. Made in Salford. Made in Salford. And of course, then you get Matt Parrish, of course, who was coach. Uh, Ex Salford. Of, uh, Salford. Well, six games. Six games, one no, win, no. and then I went to interview him, and he had been told he was on a flight back, we thought. He weren't even sure. <laughs> so, you know, that was Matt at, at the time. But, you know, Matt, he looked shell shocked in the press conference after. He was asked about the six tries in the last 16 minutes. He had no answers for anything. He didn't know what to say. It was right back from the mic, so whatever he was saying, you couldn't really hear it. It was one of the uh, toughest press conferences I've heard a, a coach not answer to in, in all my time. He really didn't have any 
anything to say, do you, Phil? Is that, is that the funniest piece of advice I was ever given? Steve will know this. I played under <coughs> Jack Gibson and Ron Massey at Cronulla in '85 and a little bit of '86, and kept in touch with Jack Gibson when I started my coaching career. And just on the fact that they didn't know what to say, <laughs> I can't remember what it was at Bradford. It was some difficult situation with the chairman, and publicly it was out there. And I rang him and I said, Jack, I don't know what to say. And he just went, Well, don't say anything. We'll put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> So I didn't say anything. That's good. better give them nothing, take them nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two things. I'll come back to the team selection in a moment because I'm intrigued as a coach how you select these things. But going into a press conference after a game like that where you know the team's been heavily beaten, how do you face up to you know <laughs> the reality that your team's lost in a World Cup in front of a global audience by 54 points? Not that, of course, you would have been in that same situation, but similar situations in the past. How do you go out there and try and sell positivity well you protect your players first and foremost that's your role and you give the press some things that they might be able to hang the hat on but you don't give them too much you just put your hands up where you have to if something's blatantly gone wrong you have to put your hands up otherwise they sense you're a fraud if you've done something fundamentally wrong that's cost you a game you say well i think we did that wrong but you try not to highlight any individual if somebody gets somebody gets hammered on there's a certain piece of footage that blames one person and well I'm sure he won't want to do that again and I'm confident that he won't do that again and, and then it becomes a selection issue afterwards as to who you pick and why you pick them and whether you think they can change the things that they've done or you pick somebody else in that position so I think that that would be my criteria if, you, if you've had a shit day at the office there's no point saying that it's all roses and flowers but you protect everybody as best you possibly can and get ready for the next one Wayne was always more critical after a win than after a loss. After a loss, he jumped to their defence. And after a win, when everyone wanted to talk them up, he'd talk, he'd talk them down. Don't ask Wayne Bennett how excited you are for the World Club Challenge. That's, uh, that, was a, that was a really bad question. Um, and a prickly interview followed, which was, was good fun. Good, good learning experience. You're always learning. Always learning. Oh, you could have asked Every him. Every day's a school day. You could have asked him what he, he thought about uh, the re reenactment that great well, Great Britain were coming back into the world. What did you feel about that? And he said, I've no idea, I'm an Aussie. Or worse than that. So, uh, we sold a few more shirts, that's right. Made a few, made a few pounds for the RFL. Um, the, the question I was about to ask was about how you select an international team. Because you've got t players from different clubs and different egos and whatever. But you've also got a group of players who you know and trust. But then you're picking players on form as well who you may not know. How, how do you integrate the, the two? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Um, I can only probably explain how I tried to do it with the coaching staff. So I had great coaching. We used to meet every Wednesday in the season, every Wednesday religiously. It was just hard because all the coaches were full-time. Dave Lyon, John Sharp, the conditioner was in there, what they could imagine. And we first and foremost analysed what the statisticians said so you looked at what the form book said who can make the metres who's making the tackles who's on paper given the force you, you have a paper sift and and then you talk about all your own particular favourites and you keep that particular squad you also look at people that are out of form that have been in the inter international for whatever reason been in the international circuit before but and you know what kind of job they can do on an international front you look at combinations for different clubs, you look at halfback combinations for clubs because the more fluidity you have without having to be 
overtly coaching the team helps you. Um, so it's it's a really really thorough process, and it was probably. And then you get to the end of the season and somebody pops their head up like Andy Ackers did in the last 10, mm -hmm. 10 games of the season. You think, well, you've got to pick him because he's on form. Because you have to pick your form players as well, irrespective of what you think. So you, you literally have to take your coaching hat off and you put your international hat on and you say, right, what's best for the team here? And then you've got to look at whether people can complement each other. You do background checks on their character. Are they good for a group? Can they spend a long, long time together uh, in camp? Uh, and how you manage those kind of things. So all the things that, that people don't see, it, it doesn't happen the night before where you think, well, I think he's a good bloke, I'm picking him, he can play. It's, it's, it was never done on reputation in, in my system. I'm confident that the systems are still the same and they're still as thorough. Um, so it, it really is a meticulous. And then you've got, you've got the old adage that you think somebody can win you a game or you think somebody can save you a game and you think, well, do we take a chance? He's not playing well. Can he, can he actually grow? and be a part of, of an international team. And that's some of the risks that you take. You might have one or two there that people scratch their head and think, well, why has he picked him? Or why has he picked her? Or... So it, it's a really, really thorough process. It's not mix and match. It's not, it's not like a coupon and you think, it's not fantasy form team. It's, you have to see, and they have to be able to play the way that you want them to play as well. So you have to pick, pick players that complement your style of play or whoever you're going to come against. You're picking, playing against Samoa, Fiji, they're, they're absolutely huge physical, athletic people. So you have to understand that you've got to match them somewhere or at least have, a, have the ability to negate what their prowess is and how you think you're going to exploit what they're good at or exploit or get behind the scenes. So it, it's massively involved in the selection process because at the end of the day, you have to put a group of people together that like each other and want to have a dig. You know, they'll run hard, tackle hard adage. So it's, yeah, it's very, very thorough. It's only not just on a cigarette package. No. <laughs> Frank Myler at Great Britain was my first Great Britain coach. He generally used to pick the team on a fag packet. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't know Wayne Proctor was there till the fourth week. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that fella there. He's turned up to every practice session on all you lot of morning. Says, that's Wayne Proctor. He says, I knew he had one missing. <laughs> <laughs> and then picked him for the next two games. What would your background check have got? Would you have had a positive report from coaches? Yeah, well, tries hard. <laughs> not always. <laughs> leading up to the World Cup, uh, Chris Chapman was my England coach at the time, and regardless of whether he'd been at the game or not, and he used to try and get round to as many games as possibly could, because he was independent of any club. Uh, and every Sunday, without fail, you'd have to text him something that had gone well and something that uh, that hadn't and then you'd have to analyse both. And then when he got the footage, he would then message you back and say, oh, you were spot on, or are you sure about that look at this time, this time? And then he tried his best off his own back. We probably had a one-to-one -one session with him every three weeks, but based on the league that we were having, because obviously we didn't have any international fixtures. Um, and then 2017, we went out to France in the June, and um, we knew that basically was, for us, it was World Cup selection time. I remember getting my first starting shirt in the first test and I was like, all right, cool, I've got my first start for, for England. This is a good... Got about 65 minutes in the first game and I was like, sweet. And the second game, he put me left me on at, at prop for the whole second half, having played probably 25 minutes the first half. And I walked off and he went, what have you got left now? I, I nearly cried and I was like, 
absolutely no. it was 36 degrees as well in the south of France and I was like absolutely nothing he was like no I can tell really well done and I was like is that it is that it I've left everything I was nearly crying I was I got to crawl off the pitch I'd put everything into it and I was like is that it and then that night he had to leave early because he was um, he worked for Sport Coach UK or something but he had to go do some table tennis World Cup and he just texted me saying can continue playing your season like that and you're going to be in the World Cup squad and that was the best I think I've screenshotted and framed it because he never gave you any compliments he'd, he'd give you like feedback I'd say right you ran hard here but it was always a but and he was always looking at those tiny one percenters it was never marginal huge huge gains that he wanted to make it wasn't huge gains sorry it was like these tiny marginal one percent things and he was like use your right knee more or, and I was like what do you mean use my right knee and then we'd watch footage and I never used to use my right knee to get up and he was like bring your knee up and then get, you'll get up quicker and it was these tiny little so you never really knew how good or how bad you were doing. You always knew you had something to work on. But getting that text from him to say, keep playing like that in your little cup was probably the highlight of my life. <laughs> and then I went and snapped my, my ACL. Until today. Uh, obviously, I was going to say. But then a, a week later, we came to a satellite session and I tore my ACL. <laughs> well, no, you're on the telly and everything. You, you know, you're famous. You, no, you're no, not famous. You, you get any social media grief? Because obviously, not only are you on the telly talking about sport, but you're a woman talking about sport on the telly oh, when we're but, talking uh, about a men's sport and indeed it. <laughs> well I mean but that's three things mm, yeah I'm sure there are I'm sure there's plenty out there luckily I don't follow much of it you know some people send me stuff or copy me and stuff and I just do you know what if you take everything to heart that you read like I wore a green blazer for the Challenge Cup final for the women in May and somebody was like why should I trying to be Fiona and I was like is that really what you've got you want me to look like Shrek and Fiona so if you looked at all of that stuff like literally anybody's and the the guys and it is the men that are bothered that I'm not in the kitchen washing and cooking then bless you it's cute because what I'm doing is I'm a much better job people can't see me nodding but yeah, yeah no, no. what I'm doing is a much better job than you like keyboard warriors are my favourite people those of them that sit at home on the sofa watching and telling us that they can do a better job than Sean they can they can run harder than Victor Radley or they'd have a better outcome than anything else and congratulations I'd love to have as big an ego as you do mine's pretty big don't get me wrong <laughs> but if I read them all yeah then you might get down but you've got to listen I've, I'm not asked to be employed by the BBC or Sky Sports or Channel 4 they keep on wanting me back and listen as long as, as I'm watching rugby and getting paid for it then I'm going to keep doing it and that's as, as fickle as it might sound I'm really loving being able to watch rugby league alongside loads of fantastic people in fantastic venues and get my hair my hair and makeup done every time I turn up what woman doesn't want Brian that? Likes that? I so. like that bit best. Yeah, I was saying that. Well, I said that early, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, That's one of my highlights. Yeah. Genuinely, is one of the highlights. And then somebody walks around going, "Do you want a tea? Do you want a coffee? Do you want a sandwich?" And I'm like, "I'm watching rugby from a prime position. I'm getting paid. I'm made, made to look better. Yeah. I'm being fed and watered. <laughs> Who cares if you don't like what I've got to say? Half the time, I think I don't like what I've got to say, but I'm saying <laughs> it, and it's coming out." So we've got straight to Trevor. Thirty-seven years at the BBC on the radio. We don't get none of this on the radio, do we? We're, we're like the second-class citizen, third-class citizen. Well, let, well, let's be fair, uh, uh, and you can answer this: Why would I need makeup on the radio? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you could that's say good point, Trevor. you do need makeup. Thirty-seven you know, years, you've nailed it. Yeah, it's. Um, you look it's well, thanks very much, but that's because <laughs> you're usually, usually looking at a radio dial, aren't you? So that's that's where it is. I just close my eyes and pretend. Yeah. But the thing, the thing is that you've always got to remember: it's better being a has been than an her being. Mm. That's the way of it. And you know, you do see that many a time with people who are like the same. How long do you play rugby? When did you play? And all the rest of it. And they'll say, "Oh, well, I, I packed up when I was 16. I packed mm. up when I was 17." And you're like, "Well, actually, you might have been good then, but you've never kind of carried on." You 
the thing is to try to put yourself on the line. Now I only played amateur, um, obviously, but I did play like nearly 350, 360 games at various levels, and that you know you, it's not that easy. And there are loads better players than me, so I'm not saying I were good at them, but I, were, I had longevity. Let's put it that way. You don't need to be a serial killer to do the police round. The <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I really, I really think that you know, like like you're saying, Danny, it's it's, it's fantastic. You, you put all the effort in, you get the reward. Yeah. The one thing I did notice that everything you said you were doing, you know, you enjoyed most, it was like almost being a man. Mm. Somebody waiting on us hand and foot, you know, all right, not having our makeup done, but our shirts pressed and all the rest of it. You've got to be careful on where you are on this line. We were talking about that before. You'll be kicked yeah. out of the Rugby League Media Sisterhood. We is want to in. Is there, is there such a thing? I'm, is told, there I'm, told, I'm told there is. I'm I want to be part of that then. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know <laughs> I was we can be allies. Yeah, but it's one of them things. Sounds isn't like a it? really bad indie band. Yeah. Rugby league. Hey, I believe. I believe. You know what? Can you sing? No, oh, you can dance. With no, I mean I, I can sing in my car and in my shower. Yeah, my, I'm Celine Dion. Behind <laughs> closed doors. When you said Fiona, I didn't understand that. Shrek and Fiona. Ah, I wore oh, a, Shrek. Oh, I wore right, a, yeah, yeah. a green blazer that ah, was yeah. similar to this. Right, right. And the one bit of feedback I got was. I was like, do you know what? We won't want to be Fiona, a Disney princess. Mm. I wish I'd not asked that question now. Take that one out. Take that <laughs> well, I've Trevor. Well, I've. Well, I've. But yeah, people people don't like it. But do you know if you don't like it, switch it off or turn it off. But you want to watch rugby, so if you want to watch rugby, you got to watch me. I'm lucky. You played loads of games. Charles played loads of games. Brian's played loads of games. How many games did you play for? Six. 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 Steve. And what level? Windang under sevens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, anyway. The last game I played would have been the. Uh, Illawarra High School knockout when I was like eight, uh, seven, eight, eight, eight. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, they all haven't included those. Yeah, seven. Are they first class? No, you're right. You're right. They actually had a media cup, a journalist cup in in Sydney, and John Quayle and Ken Alveson organised, and they all went, came along and used to stand outside and laugh at us, you know. Was anybody sober? Yes, actual, yeah. What's going to say? Peter Fitzsimons. He said he's only played rugby league twice. And he's been taken to hospital both times, and one of them was in the in the journalist cup. So that would have been the last time I played. That would have been in the nineties. So I, I haven't counted my appearances. I don't too many. <laughs> too many to count. More appearances Big than tackles. That's for sure for me. We have spoken about England, Australia, Steve. They're back. The world's number four team. Back to like playing, you know. <laughs> Back yeah, no, I, was, I thought I was I, that to me was Fiji's best ever performance mm. against Australia. I looked at the, I looked at the margins, and it's not their closest. I think thirty-two is their closest margin, and it was thirty-four. Well, thirty. Anyway, yeah, thirty-four. So, but I thought I thought they just never looked completely, you know, overwhelmed, you know, and with with some of those players, you know, like Abby Corusau and 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 Viliami Kikau, I just thought they they don't look overwhelmed. And someone said the other day, Australia's. Uh, um, um, uh, aura is gone, which is a popular kind of thing to say. It's kind of a, a, bit, a bit of an empty thing to say. But the the, the place where it has sort of some um, veracity is just the fact that they're playing now against a whole bunch of guys who play against them every week. So if you get an aura from not sort of not knowing someone and being intimidated by them from a distance, that distance is gone now. So even last night, um, Laurent Fraser knew it's like. Uh, you know, a lot of people watch that and they would have thought, well, uh, it's disappointing to only beat uh, Greece by 34-12. And he went, well, look at their spine. Lachlan, Elias, Pete, Mamazelas. He said they've got their spine, they've got NRL players. Good players. And so he's like, um, 
we were pleased that we stuck to our, our task last night. So the whole competition, even though we still have those great stories we've been talking about, about guys who have never played against adults before or they raised in Rhodes or they're from uh, uh, Kingston, equally, we've got um, f- familiarity that we couldn't have dreamt of in 1995, where the guys know each other. You, you know, um, the two most disparate teams of this tournament would be Jamaica and Australia, I guess, as far as who knows each other. And you'd still get half a dozen on either side hugging each other, you know, sending each other texts during the week. It's just a smaller world generally, and I think the World Cup sort of reflects that. That, did, that didn't answer your question. Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, well, we talk about Australia. You want me to talk about Australia? I talk well, about Australia. We don't. I, I just said at the time, I didn't realise we didn't have as much time as I thought, but it, when we get to the, the latter stage of the competition, this is something I mentioned with Kyle Amor, who's our guest on Thursday. When you guys finish, I have to stand here and talk for another... 15 minutes because I was late. Is that right? Yeah. You've got to show your book. That'll be easy. You'll do it easy. That's a hundred. Steve, what's your, what's your book about? But we're talking about Greece and Jamaica and, and Ireland and whatever, and these stories now, but when we get to the final four, we will be talking a lot about Australia and New Zealand. That's their time to shine. This is everyone else's time to shine almost at this point. Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and I guess that's the, that's the thing that people sort of, who haven't been to many matches, seem to be struggling to get their heads around that. Um, they 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 go. Why is it the groundfall, or you know, um, why was that? Why was why was the standard seem to be lower than what I'm used to if I'm watching NRL and Super League? And I think if you go to a match, you'll kind of get your head around it that it is. It there's something different. There's there's a different vibe at a World Cup as far as it it doesn't feel kind of as cutthroat. It feels more, and I think it's because if I. If if I go out to if I go uh, back out to Australia, and um, and I run into a bunch of my mates, uh, we'll go to the pub. It's great to see you. But if we if I go to a wedding in Ireland and people have come from everywhere, it's a completely different vibe. You know what I mean? It's like I it's like every second person I see, I know, and I, some of them I can't quite place. And so there's that kind of carnival. Um, celebration vibe at the games and maybe it doesn't translate so well on TV and someone goes someone goes oh the score was too big or the, the seats were empty and I, I think you've got to really kind of be, uh, sort of uh, become involved in, in, in the event socially and be mm. present to actually appreciate that it has things that other games don't have I think I, I've got it. sorry I've got it. I'll just back that one up all I'm saying is Obviously, I've seen all the complaints about, you know, again, are they trolls or whatever they call them on the social media, and how many of them are there? Should, should be taking them on or not? I don't think so, really. But if you go to the game, uh, I was at Warrington and Lebanon, if you go to that game, the atmosphere was terrific, absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we saw a game where Lebanon surprised everybody, and I'd, I'd never really realised how good a player uh, Mitchell Moses was. You know, absolute <laughs> cracker. In, in that game and some others uh, as well against New Zealand so you sit to tell me what you on telly and you watch the telly I watched the game last night on telly and I've watched others but the atmosphere doesn't really come across you know you, you get more knowledge because you get the stats and the backgrounds and all that but the atmosphere doesn't come across whereas when you're at the game it's a fantastic atmosphere you're part of it you live in the situation and when things happen your peripheral vision gives you aspects of the game over here that the tv cameras focused on there it's a whole experience to me and to me that's why why you should be going on and what you've been there are some from. basics Sorry. though of the world cup that i don't think people kind of on social media really understand they they don't understand that the world cup is a separate organization to the rugby league that it's 
got it. No, the RFL are to blame for everything. Yeah, yeah. They, well, they, they, that's their fault we were late on the M62. Yeah, yeah. They don't, like, someone who works in the media to me was surprised when I said that it's got to fund the international game for three or four years. Oh, hey, what do you mean? No, I, said, I, said, I don't mean pay for test matches, I mean it pays for grassroots around the world. So you've got to generate money, otherwise the International Federation doesn't have anything to give to the countries. And that's a basic thing that I don't think has been communicated very well. Because I think people, corporations, companies are shy about talking about money, so they just don't talk about it at all. And, it, and a very important part of this tournament is to raise money so it can be given to countries like Brazil who are, and, and Canada who are now providing teams and they're providing content now to generate more money. To, then it can go to you know, Thailand or it can go to the Philippines or it can go to you know, Belarus. Not Belarus, not at the moment, no. And people just don't un kind of understand that. Yeah. And there's some real basic things that I think you don't need to get in an argument with people on social media, but I think you've got to sort of explain some really basic things that people don't understand about this, you know? I, th I think there's two things that come off the back of that. One is we want a strong international federation mm. and it's only going to be strong if it has money. You know, how, how can it dictate to the NRL and the, and the RFL if you're asking people to do things, but economically you're not in a position of power? Mm. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why generating profit from a World Cup is number one. I think we also need to stop being apologists. And I think this is a, this is a rugby league mm. thing. That, you know, there was a slight glitch in the sound system at Newcastle on Saturday. For those that were there, it didn't spoil anything. No. It was odd for maybe 10 or 15 minutes because yeah. people were looking around going, do we carry on, what do we do? Um, you know, how, do, how does this impact on the health and safety of the situation? But actually, it, did, it didn't spoil anything. But as soon as the Rugby League World Cup organisers, who I think have been brilliant in keeping it going for an extra year amongst anything else, start putting out an apology for it at mm. half time, it has to be reported. You don't need to do that. It's Similarly, like an admission of guilt, isn't it? Which is yeah, not their no, fault. Be confident. I, I think I think you ask a question, um, you know, what happened, and someone gives you a quote. Here's what happened. This is the power. But, but you don't do it during the game yeah, because it, you know, it like, magnifies you know, it. I but think really, by forty minutes into the game, who remember what happened? Well, and it's the same with you know Mick Hogan's been interviewed about ticket sales. You know, you don't have to justify it. The ticket sales that you're getting at the moment are commensurate with every other World Cup that we've had, and you're going to make more money. I think it's important to people to know, though, that you know they've already exceeded 2013 by a million pounds, and they've just gone past 2017 with 59 go or 57 games to go. I think that is a good repost to people who are saying it costs too much yeah. to get in. What that they could fill the place? But, but don't you know do what it I mean? as an like, interview you know. because you're then making it a story. But equally, and nobody else is really talking about that other than us mm. in our in our echo chamber. I, I think you know the other thing that hasn't been mentioned. Well, we think we're honest. We, we say no. it and say it as it is, and we're honest about our game. So you can't but, actually accuse us of hiding anything. No, but, but the let's, other, let's the be honest thing. then. If you were a true rugby league fan. And I can say this because on Saturday night I brought my own ticket to go watch Australia. That's how desperate I was to go you see James. You bought a ticket to watch Australia? Yeah, I need you to so went, work, I went My met, God. I met James Tesco, life made. Did you just what, World Cup? No, I didn't. I, 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 heard her. I think he said he wanted my number, but I didn't know. He was married. and <laughs> Number 10. Yeah, he, he yeah, said. That's a great one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that was good, Fred. Well done, Fred. But <laughs> equally, I went, I went last minute, bought a ticket, and I paid for whatever because I did. But... If you're a rugby league fan, do you know a year ago, do you know six months ago, there were deals on tickets. 
the tickets were cheaper. We were out there, they were selling offers, they were doing family offers. They were, so if you're a rugby league fan who is whinging about ticket prices, why did you not get them six months ago? Exactly, and that last minute discounting yeah. is bad yeah. Bad for the sport. Oh no, it's not, because you've and got everyone your discount. Thought would, yeah. Everyone thought it would happen, because it happens yeah. you know, in, in domestic competition, and I think it's good that they've you know, stuck Kept to their guts. It, yeah. um, well, th- there has to be a prestige. £2.21 to take your child last night. There has to be prestige about the international game. Exactly. You, you cannot pay the same as you do for a Super League game, for an international game. You have to make that differentiation. You, your competition has to be prestigious. But I think the other thing that, that has been missed about all of the ticket prices and the attendances, particularly at games, is this is the first time every game has been on television, mm. uh, on mainstream all television. All 61, all yeah. live on the BBC. So... If that is available to you as a consumer... That sounded like an advert. Drop on messages. I've been trained up there very well. You can't do ads on the BBC, yeah. but you can do ads about the about BBC. Training also. Also. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the past, if you wanted to go to a game, you had to go, otherwise you wouldn't see it. Now, yeah. you can say the attendances aren't very good, but I can sit at home I mean, and I mean, watch it. One of the, I mean, it would, let's not I mean, go into people on Twitter, but someone said, oh, do, if the stand's going to be empty, don't put it on TV. Hello, it's 2022. <laughs> that's what sport is. It's what's on TV. Yeah. That's what they sell. That's how the players get paid. That's how the, the stadium gets rented. That, that is all there is. If it's not on TV, it isn't on. You know, it, it doesn't exist in 2022. But then the person that's saying that <laughs> is watching it from the TV, and if we didn't put it on TV, would then be whinging. Yeah. So like, why is it on the channel I have to pay for? Yeah. However, do you know what Tonga and PNG is on BBC Three tonight? FYI, everybody. Are you on it? Where no. is BBC? Where is BBC Three? Somewhere on the next to BBC the Two and. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I don't know. when you're looking for the red button, you don't go too far back into the night. I'm sure you'll be all right. Yeah, I, I understand. You know what Phil is saying about sort of corporate speak and putting out an apology and. It is. I didn't think it was so bad. They put out. I, I, I kind of it jarred with me that everyone said exactly the same line. Mm. You know, they all said exactly the same thing, and there wasn't that natural kind of. But I, th- I can understand if you've been involved in planning a World Cup for all this time, and something like that goes wrong. It really, it really hits you. You know, you get really upset, and you imagine everyone else is more upset yes. than they are. You know, so um, yeah, there's a balance to be to be struck, I guess. We're going so long. They didn't have a cockroach on the top of it when we started this World Cup process, and now it's back. Uh, before I don't ask everyone who's going to win the World Cup because that's a terrible question to end with. Any questions from the audience, of which there are people here? I mean, you, you can't see this. Unlike myself, a book launch. <laughs> Twenty-four man squads. Do you think that's big enough? Twenty-four man squad. Too not enough. Too many. Good question. <laughs> Injury suspensions. I just yeah. I think with the vagaries of potential suspensions but it seems to me that international football has a a little bit more leeway and a bit more allowance as to who gets hit round the head and who doesn't Uh, and I'm all for that because the least the referees blow their whistle the better the games are if you're not reflected upon that so I think 24 men women I don't know how many is in the disabled uh, 12 Um, yeah I think it's enough I think if you were talking about going overseas I never thought 20, it was 24 for Great Britain teams that we used to take for 6 or 7 years that was never enough I'd have taken 403 48 because of the travel vagaries and that made it difficult but with it I think 24 is enough yeah where do we go from after the World Cup we've got France in 2025 what are we going to do for not just the four nations but the emerging nations as well it's all very well seen. Greece is fantastic now. Great question. Where's the competition? Where's the international football? 
Well, we're going to play the Combined Nations again this year, aren't we? No, we're playing France. Oh, good. Okay. Can, I, can I make a point before France. you answer that, Phil? I feel in a good position, probably Steve's. I think we've got to get a grip of our international schedule. I think we've spent a long time not having one. And part of that is the strength of the NRL is club football over there is number one. And international football is number two. Sorry, or, origin is number one <coughs> in the NRL and then international football. We've got to get back to a place where we can find a window where the Aussies will play. Because I want to see the Australia the number one team in the world. And we can find meaningful tours and international fixtures that we can buy into including all of the the, the nations that are coming into this now and, and make it meaningful I think we took a step towards it with the Pacific Nations Cup down in Australia which I think has illuminated I think the difference in Australia and their view it might not be the actual national team of Australia but is that the the heritage players and Tonga particularly and Fiji and Papua New Guinea and the amount of money that the NRL has invested in their feeder clubs for, for these things to grow I think they're on the verge of having something if not as special as Origin remember Origin is what they live and die for the number one TV show in Australia I think we've got to bring the Australians to the party and they make a meaningful contribution to international football i.e. commit to some tours commit to this that and the other and we have to plan it's a brilliant question we have to plan international football because I think it's the next best <coughs> Telly, telly, telly time. I think broadcasters want to see it. I think fans want to see it. See and I think, the, I, I think we need to encourage the, the, the you know, you the International the, Federation needs to have a whole lot more money than it's got. You can see the difference that the media, different way the media treat international football. Mm. We've got label England, but it's just the emerging nations as well. Yeah. Inside, like, very small companies. And I think the case is not enough money some sort of competition between World Cups for the four big nations or five big nations wherever they're at as well as the small We never used to have qualifiers for World Cups, you know, mm -hmm. you just got invited so mm -hmm. this is the first Women's World Cup that had qualifiers mm -hmm. qualifiers. so that's a massive you know, step forward, you know um, but I believe, you know, up in Newcastle they, you know, the International Federation had their Congress late last week and there's still a lot of disagreement about the international calendar and there's two big camps, and, and we've been promised an international calendar for how long now? Phil, you know the background. Uh, we've been promised a 10-year calendar for the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a difficult, isn't it? The, the seasons don't quite run in line with each other. Like you but they're going to. And yeah, I, th I think I the mean, two things to mention is IMG seem to see what we're talking about, and they have prioritised an international element, and they are bringing the parties to the table. The qualifier thing is really interesting because the advantage of having only three years between this and the next World Cup is that the qualifiers will kick in in 2023. There will be the first African nations at the next World Cup and their qualifiers are already set. Um, I think the European Championship and a Euro B for the developing nations is also set. Um, it's not set in the round in that everybody is agreeing. It's done through the European Federation but there is a willingness that this World Cup is bringing to the table that international rugby league has to take precedence. It's got to be an incentive yeah. for players, young players in particular. Well, and, and, and again, it's not a criticism, but rather than announcing the fixtures for Magic Weekend at Newcastle in the middle of a World Cup, which I understand from a marketing point of view, what we should be doing is saying there's an Ashes tour on next year and the first game is being played at St James's Park. And you can, if you Except have, that decision hasn't been made. I mean, exactly. But the thing is, like, one step forward, two steps back. I mean, we're very happy 
four years ago when we had standalone Origin on a weekend, which meant the, the guys who weren't Origin players could uh, play for their country in Australia. Well, some of them chose to play for their country instead of Origin, which you know, and and some of them wanted to play Origin and then play for the other countries. And then they found the ratings weren't as good. So the, the ratings weren't as good on a Sunday as they are on a Wednesday night. So now they've scrapped it. It's gone again next year. So Tonga, Tonga Samoa, Fiji, um, PNG, they cannot play mid-season now because they've scrapped it because to get better ratings for Origin. Um, so we, we, we always look for things that kind of change and stay changed in, in rugby league. And, and, and it seems like 75% of things change and then change back. And it's that 25%, those things that stay changed. And I think all these matches on the BBC, I mean, Andy Wilson texted me last night. He said, if you, you went to the 1995 Merging Nations, um, you know, which we all went to, was watched by 200 people or whatever, and uh, the Russians were selling their jerseys behind the state, behind the grandstand after the matches, you know. And then and now to see, um, you know, uh, Greece and France on the BBC live, they're the things that stay changed. They're the things that have changed and will stay changed. We're not going to go back to behind the grandstand with the Russians flogging there. You know, that that has stay changed, and, and they're the things we have to look out for, you know. Yeah, and well, these are two different levels. Obviously, you're talking top edge, and if you're talking the bottom level, and I've got to go back to my own experience, which is way back in 1990, going to the Kukans, Tonga and Samoa with Bala, and then Fiji in 92 to set up the next tour, and then those three nations and, and Fiji again. You've got it, to my mind, if you start sending out community international teams, which are, they can go and play on these islands, in these areas, and then help to develop international at the right level. Because, you know, when they're playing top amateur players, they're still quite good players, and they're still too difficult for uh, domestic competitions, but it gives them some yardstick to go against. South Africa did it in 1995, as over there twice, uh, to get them in that World Cup, and again in 2000. And that's where we don't utilise it. The amateur players are expected to pay for themselves. If the international competition put money aside to send these groups of top-line amateur players, community players, then you'll get something to set them on the road to actually in 10, 15 years, it might be, or in two or three years, depending on how quickly they can develop, to actually play other nations and, and then part of the qualifier. But it's that long-term goal in at a short-term gain and, and the combination. And like you said, they're all arguing at the top table, aren't they? Because they all want the money, either for the top stars or to be in amongst the top stars right at the start. And isn't this reflective of what we have from League One into Super League? Everybody wants to be at the top table. Nobody wants to earn the places there. Any more questions? Isn't it about time we had one set of rules for rugby league instead of one in this country, one in Australia and one for international? And we'll be fans of the captain's challenge. The NRL just see themselves as Formula One, so they don't care what anyone else does. If they want to change the rules from one season to the next and give two points for a drop goal from their own side of halfway, they'll just do it. They, 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 don't, they, don't feel they, owe, they, they don't feel they owe anyone an explanation for what they do. And in fact, it comes right from the top. It comes from Peter Volandis, people writing letters to the newspaper. He reads it and goes, oh, two-point field goal, six again. That's a good idea. Let's do it next weekend. And I, I just, I just, it's down to personalities. You know? But it's down, it's down to money, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If the International Rugby League Federation had pots and pots of money, maybe like the Rugby Union do have, then they could uh, dictate to domestic competitions and say, look, you're not getting any of this pot of money unless we have one set of rules. If you had an oh, international... strong enough for that. Let's say Peter Volandis is replaced by Andrew Hill or someone, you know, then 
then they, he might his view might be different to Peter Landis. He might go, well, that's a good idea. Let's get it approved by the International Rules Committee for next year. Mm. But you know, personalities have an impact as well. Just hoping that the Australian women walk off after 35 minutes. 30. 30. 30. It's 30 each way up there. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, which is. Yeah. Oh, we're proper over here. Yeah, yeah, we play full rules. We play exactly the same as men, same size ball, same size pitch, everything. I know it's crazy to think. Oh, yeah, because they play with a smaller ball in Australia as well, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Size four. And they play shorter time, so. I mean, you can only cross your fingers and hope and pray that that makes a big effect, but I don't think it will. I think the, the, one the weather support is, is our biggest. Uh, a Warrington support. Is there. And I just thought I'd point him out. I, I want to be like Fiona Bruce, gentleman in the brown shirt. It was a less serious question, which is what do you make of the Australian squad numbering system? I mean, I couldn't care less, but it's, it's hilarious how much it's warmed people up. It's brilliant. I argued on Twitter that it made no difference and it was a, an interesting thing. And then watching the game, it confused the hell out of me. And I've got no idea where anyone is anyway, so it doesn't make any difference to me. Josh Edo Kaka where? Apparently, the decision was made three. to two years ago mm. so it's, no, it's nothing new and obviously squad numbers upset people in Australia you know they like you to change the numbers every week but then if it's in the program on a Wednesday you've got to wear whatever numbers That's you've right. got on a Wednesday um, and so I guess someone just said whether it was Michael Hagen said well if they're going to make us do this other thing we don't like we're going to make it twice as confusing for them I don't know I think it's good for it's good for anybody that doesn't know rugby league or doesn't know, is new to it or is new to some of the teams because literally can, you can look at the sheet can't you can find out who's who and who's what but I think from a play point of view I, I think it's more disappointing from a play point of view so if you've grafted and let's say I'm a prop and I, I get a starting shirt I'm number 8 and I play an 8 but my squad number's 14 I've earned a starting shirt and I want that 8 but I've still got to play with 14 I think regardless of what we think you felt at your last season no no because if, if you're if you're 15 you're 15 aren't you like that's what I mean so it's not as yeah who, who doesn't want to have a 1 to 13 shirt and you can see that the teams that have done it properly who the 1 to 13 who the favourable players are because they've got the 1 to 13 Australia I quite like the fact that they're just throwing a bomb in there and going, we're going to do what we want. Latrell Mitchell's got number eight. Now, I want Latrell Mitchell's shirt. Not a big fan of um, South Sydney. Not a particularly big fan of his, but I want his shirt now because he's got my number. So it's, it has, it's worked in terms of a viewer or when, a fan's perspective. When we, when we first played with this in 1996, the idea would be like Michael Jordan and you'd have a number yeah. for your whole career and you'd be able to market yourself as, the, as that number. And you'd number. change clubs in that number, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that it, it never quite happened you know it was like we had all we did is we had team selection like once a year instead mm. of once a week you know um so but if we got international rugby league back to the halcyon days when when i've recognized so many brilliant number eights for australia i, I can reel them off I, I i'm not a big fan of the squad numbers and, and the way that they've tried to number up it just I sat there and I think well, it's just typically Australian <laughs> and that's what I thought I said, but they, they would they sit there and go typical pommies making us wear squad numbers we yeah. don't do that yeah. you know what I mean so, well, could have so for me it should be one to seven. and this is the why day. the two rules don't yeah. match up together <laughs> and I can see why they did introduce squad numbers from the Rugby League World Cup point of view yeah, because yeah. they're trying to appeal to an unfamiliar audience and you have that number for the entire tournament with the name on the back so yeah we again I, I get your point it's, it's being disrespectful uh, but if over the course of the next five weeks the Trail Mitchell becomes a household name and he's number eight and someone in you know, St Ives recognises that number eight, I want to see him play again because he was good last time. I think it reflects a sort of change in society and popular culture where we used to, with sport, we used to want to know about rules and people's roles and what they do and now it's all about personality. So mm. the idea that a position you play 
is more important than your name is ridiculous in social media age. Your name is more important than what you do. You know, you can you can be famous for doing nothing, mm-hmm. and I think it kind of reflects that. You know, they, 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 it's more about you and and you being a star than than what you do on the field. That's boring. You're you not know? trading marks on kind of trim <laughs> eight logo, like, you know, Roger. Frank no, no, but equally right. If you're number twenty four in that squad, do you feel like you just script in? So why can't we just pick one to seventeen on the day, and yeah, then exactly. if the number six is Brett Kenny or Wally Lewis, you can wow. say I've got Brett Kenny or Wally oh, Lewis's I shirt. That's what I agree. What, yeah, it's because he's a number six, or I've got Ray Price's yeah. at number thirteen, or Wayne Pierce at number twelve. Well, this is the shirt. That the, irony, yeah. the irony of jumpers and marketing and merchandising is you can't buy the jumpers. So you can well, say you say, oh, Latrell Mitchell's in eight. That's going to be a real collector's item. You can't get one. You can't get one. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought that the most controversial topic would be the bloody Australian squad numbers? But it's always. I quite like somebody when somebody throws a spanner in the work, so I quite like it. Mate, we'll put it on Amazon what we want to put them on. And you'll like it. (laughs) Maybe we can get Military Mitchell's shirt, though. You must have cotton. You're working yeah, for the BBC. What's it number one or number three, Latrell Mitchell? I just told you, the shirt. only reason I want his shirt is because it says number eight on it. What about you? Because you played that position. Yeah. But you're unique in that respect. Yeah, but I, I'm just telling you, regardless of what, well done Australia, because I now want Latrell Mitchell's <laughs> shirt. I cannot stand South Sydney, I'm a Roosters fan. You must be happy that one of the top Sydney Roosters fans is wearing seven for England then, when that was what that was being announced. That's a whole different. That's a whole different ball game. Cotney Winfield Hill. Nozzy's wearing number seven for England. So a lot of the manufacturers, in case people are interested, a lot of the manufacturers have only made enough, like enough jerseys for the for the team. Mm. They haven't even just bothered to put them uh, retail. We go through them. I kind of. We obviously know England are available everywhere. Uh, Ireland, you can get from O'Neill's. Uh, VX3 of doing uh, Wales and Scotland, you can buy them. PNG, none, none for retail at all. Australia, as far as I know, none for retail at all. Wow. Um, um, BLK are selling um, New Zealand stuff. Uh, Cook Islands, their manufacturer uh, is saying you have to buy it from us. You can't buy it from anyone else. But in fairness, the Cook Islands are fairly small, so I'll give I'll give them the benefit. Of the well, but I think the I think the manufacturer is in Adelaide, so ah. the size of the Cook Islands. What about Fiji? Who were there? Uh, Fiji is um. A, not returning emails. I haven't seen because I would so. buy a Fiji shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, and I think it's because the, the biggest issue is the sponsorships are done at the last minute. So everyone goes, "Don't make them! Don't make them! We're going to get a sponsor! We're going to get a sponsor!" And then by the time they make them, there's no time to get them over here. There's no time to make them any 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 um, numbers. And so, um, um, so it is really everyone says, "Oh, the problem with the World Cup is they never get the jerseys made in time to sell at the games," and that's one problem we're not making progress on, sadly. I think we've, we've, we've done. Unless there's anyone else who's got any final questions. Or, or because like a book. You've got to, go, go, people's got to go, go and get the cars. Uh, like a book from Steve. Yeah. If you want to buy Steve's book, he's got his book. What's, what's it called, Steve? What's it about? Two Tribes. It's the third edition. Has it got all the spelling mistakes, haven't it? It's got fewer typos than any previous edition. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got collector, I've got a first edition collectors now. I'm, 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 I'm well chuffed. Oh, you uh, is, that, is that your sales pitch? Because I'm saying it's not very good. Come no, on, give no, me a real no. one. No, no, it's been well. I've been. It's been. It's been around for a little while. But uh, it's the story of 1997, the only year that there were two competitions in Australia, and the reason we have Super League, the reason the clubs that are around now are around, and the reason the clubs that aren't around now are not around. A uh, hundred, a hundred interviews, uh, including people, obviously, who, sadly, who aren't. Uh, I say obviously because it has been a year, and we're all not getting younger. But uh, um, Bob Fulton, Peter Mulholland. Uh, Morris Lindsay, all interviewed in here, um, and yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. Anyway, so good book. 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 Good book
Just no, right. it is, this, it's about the origins of squad numbers in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about squad no, numbers. No confusion. <laughs> and while we do the adverts, uh, tune in BBC Radio Manchester 95.1 FM, oh, 5 till 6, Rugby League Extra. Myself and Jack Dean, and along with Stacey Copeland. Oh, so you can have that one as well. well I was, I was just, about to ask, just about to ask you. It's, a pl- it's, it's always a pleasure. To, I, mean, I just want to ask you, where, oh. where's, where's your sidekick? He's in Portugal at the moment. <laughs> Funny enough. Right for so many. Okay, well, it is. It is. <laughs> on the short straw. Um, Danica and Brian, you're both on the telly. Have you got anything else you want to promote? On the telly? No, I just no. think I just think just tune in. Like well, I think regardless. I mean, I know of I've not said I've not said much about the women's or the wheelchair world cups or the PDRL, but you know, which some, we've got time for that. Yeah, don't you worry. Martin Coyne's no, watching. I think you know they're mm. live on the BBC, and it's not about selling the BBC; it's about selling the sport. And the more coverage that the sport gets, the better, isn't it? So. BBC Three tonight for the which I think is going to be so far the game of the tournament yeah. for me, Tonga PNG and we talk about how small the the the, the family of rugby league is. You know you got the likes of Conrad Hurrell and Tui going up against Rhys Martin just as a as a bare bones. Despite the rest of the fact that that is going to be I think it's going to be a colossal battle and I'm really excited to watch it. I mean we've got to say thanks to Eccles Library for inviting us here today because that means we can go off to St Helens because it doesn't mean we have to go back. Fill the magazine town. It is. Uh, with with fill-in charts of each of the competitions, <laughs> and who doesn't want a fill-in chart? Let's be honest. So put all the That's results it. down, and you can plot where each nation's going to be later in the competition. Somewhere blackboard. It's great. Yeah. The the best TV column columnist since um, oh. Clive James in those. What's fill-in? Well, it's just your column, yeah. Danny. <laughs> Um, so that's it. Thank you very much for coming. Much appreciated because seriously, people don't turn up to these things, uh, but we don't tell them that. So thank you very much for coming. Thanks for spending your time. Take a biscuit. Patronise Steve and uh, enjoy the rest of the world. Also buy a book. Buy a book. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Good work. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. Sports Social Podcast Network.